Here they come! Hello and welcome to episode 45 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host Eric Moore and today I'm joined by Jeff McGee to discuss the temple segment of Raiders of the Lost Ark, from Indy going in to Indy being expelled out. I'm going in. Hello Jeff. Hello Eric. How are you? I I am uh, very well, thank you very much. And um, yeah, it's been quite a while since we've had a new co-host on the show. So welcome aboard. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Big fan of the show. Love the concept. And uh, I love all of your guests, except for that Chris guy. I don't know. I don't uh, know about that guy. Yeah, I wish he'd go away. He keeps pestering me. Yeah, but you had Wade to balance it out. So that that works out. Yeah. That, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I've got I've got no choice with Chris because he's still got some of the negatives and um, you know I've got to keep having him back. Right, right, yeah, you got to yeah, you got to got to keep things balanced out. Yeah, I understand completely. This is true. This is bring true. balance to the force, as it were. Indeed. No, it's not the force. It's not the force. It's another Ford thing. Um, yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Our, our very first look at an Indiana Jones film today. Uh, first question for you today then is: um, Is this the very first Indiana Jones film you saw, and did you see it in the cinema? It is the first Indiana Jones film that I ever saw. I did not see it in the cinema until I was probably in my early 20s. The first time I saw this, uh, I've talked about this on a myriad other podcasts that, I've, that I host and have been on. My brother is 10 years older than I am, and he is pretty much responsible for my pop culture awareness. Uh, he took me to see my first Star Wars movie. He took me to see The Empire Strikes Back in 1980. That's the first film I remember going to see in a theater. And Raiders of the Lost Ark, I grew up in Paris, Texas, which, if you don't know, is the second largest Paris in the world uh, and not anywhere near the second most interesting. But <laughs> we have a, a community college there. And one year, it was, I guess, probably around 82, somewhere around in there, they screened Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't know how they got their hands on a print, but they had their got their hands on a print, and he took me to see it. Mm. He said, hey, they're showing this movie uh, with the guy who plays Han Solo. Do you want to go see it? I was like, okay, sure. And I specifically remember a guy bringing us lemonade, and we were sitting in desks watching the movie, and I was just enthralled. It wasn't a huge screen. It was you know just like a projector-sized screen, but I was just enthralled. Fell in love with the film. It's my second favorite film of all time. Uh, it was the first – Raiders and The Empire Strikes Back were the first films I rented on VHS when we got a VCR. And I finally did get to see it in a theater. There's a, I, I live in the Dallas, Texas area now, and there's a theater over here, several actually, that do uh, midnight showings of, of older movies. And they showed Raiders of the Lost Ark one year, probably about 15 years ago, and I got to go see it for the first time. And it's always interesting when you've watched something on television or on DVD, VHS, whatever. You know, you mentioned, especially if you've seen it multiple times like I have this film it's always interesting to go see it in a theater after that many viewings because you start to notice just the structure of the film and 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 how it's how it's paced and what a good film it is and this is a movie that 
if you watch it and you're paying attention, it feels like it goes by in about a half an hour. Mm. This thing just does not stop, but it never feels busy. Mm. And that's one one thing that we can always credit Steven Spielberg with is the man knows how to tell a story and he knows how to pace a film. And uh, the sequence that we're going to talk about today is obviously one that has captured, you know, captured my imagination as a child and has captured everybody else's because we've seen it, you know, parodied and and, uh, and uh, referenced it in, in, in myriad other films. So that's that's my experience with Raiders of the Lost Ark. It is my second favorite film of all time right after The Empire Strikes Back. So uh, I'm very excited to be here to talk about it. Excellent. It's what you said just there about, you know, you get to you get so used to watching a film, you know, on on television and then having the opportunity to see it on the big screen. And it's a different experience. I, I had that um, one of the cinemas I was working at when we first got our very first digital projector. It was to actually show subtitles so we could have subtitled films. And um, but it, it had an input for a DVD player. So I hooked it up and me and this other guy other projectionist uh, I put alien on for him because he had never seen alien on the big screen oh, and it nice. was the same thing for him he, he he was word perfect on alien but he had never seen it on the big screen and and his jaw was just hanging open because suddenly he could see all this stuff you know um, even though he, you know he, he had a letterboxed edition back then you didn't have the big televisions that you have now and he right. he, he was just floored by it and but of course you know these films you know at the turn of the 80s they were still making films with a view for them to be shown on the big screen and really only ever seen on the te- on on the big screen i mean yes they would then go into uh on television but that was before the home video market where people could actually own their own copy you know and watch it again and again yeah yeah now that you mention it the first two alien films i've never seen in a theater and those are on my bucket list oh, those are actually to. probably at the top of my top the top of my list of films i haven't seen in a theater that i'm just dying to that if, one in the first superman film yeah not to bring up chris again yeah if, if 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 that cinema in dallas has midnights of those you must see them it's the same with the original blade runner you know it's the same with john carpenter's the thing these things need to be experienced i've seen those you yeah. have the thing oh, cool. actually, yeah the thing uh, the another theater did a midnight that showing of the thing a few years ago and i got to see it and uh actually won a dvd of it because they always do a answer you know i have to answer a terrific question before the film and i cannot remember what the question was that i answered correctly but i won a dvd of the thing this was back uh pre just pre blu-ray so mm-hmm. uh the thing yeah john carpenter's the thing is one of my uh one of my favorite first time i saw not to get off on a tangent but the first time i saw the thing was pretty perfect to have not seen it at a theater saw it at two o'clock in the morning in a pitch black room at my friend's house. He had it on video and he had never seen it. I was like, oh, this is supposed to be scary. We watched it. I didn't sleep a week for like a week after that. Yeah. Something else that occurred to me about, you know, talking about the thing and Raiders Lost Ark is, of course, uh, uh, another thing about, you know, their theatrical releases. These are films that are meant to be seen with an audience, you know, because an audience reaction can be contagious and we're going to come up to this um during the sequence we're going to talk about today that really some of these films like raiders like the thing you need to watch with an audience because it can become infectious can't it you know the emotion absolutely you know absolutely (laughs) all right when i saw the thing when i saw the thing it was a pretty full theater and there were people there who had never seen it and of course it had probably been probably been 10 years since i saw it and i mean i was jumping out of my chair just as much as anybody else Right, right. Um, Ray's Lost Ark, I mean, when it came out, I, I was thinking about it, and I don't think I saw it. I, I, I'm, I, I was 
absolutely the correct age to watch it. But I don't think I saw it when it came out on first release in the cinema. Um, I saw it about a year later, and by then I was working in the cinema, and we used to have it back again and again, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Because I miss not, those days when they would bring when they would bring a film back. Well, it, it, it's pre-video release, so you know that's what they did. But the other thing was right. uh, back in you know I started in the very early eighties. Um, you didn't cinema isn't like it is now, where pretty much every week you've got a blockbuster film come out, a big film comes out every week. It was only the holiday seasons that you know you got the big films. So that interim time of you know school and and work. Um, it was a quiet time for films and, and they came and went very, very, you know, without much fanfare. And you did have re-releases and Raiders kept coming back and I fell in love with it on my first viewing. And um, it's a testament to the film because I can remember because it was a re-release, I worked in a three screen cinema and the smallest screen was where you had the re-releases and it was only 90 screen, uh, 90, 90 seats, tiny little screen in mono, but it still had a huge impact on me. You know, I'd watch it time and time again. And the other Absolutely. thing, and- uh, so, so, sorry, the other thing I was going to say is I don't know if this happened over in America, but over here, when, when you had uh, films released, you had a short that uh, came with it. Did you have that in America, or do you remember when you would have shorts? We had that when I was a kid. I was born in the the late seventies, and so in the early eighties, we had that periodically. Usually with Disney films, they would always show a Disney short either before or after the film. Uh, but we didn't have that typically. That that kind of stopped around the fifties or sixties. Uh, they would you know because always in the forties you would go and you would see a, a live action short, a cartoon, a newsreel, and then the mm-hmm. film, and it was in the evening. And uh, some of the uh, Warner Brothers releases from that era have actually recreated that on their DVD and Blu-ray releases, which I love. But we didn't have that. Uh, we didn't have it um, a- as a rule. Right. And I don't. Re- I only remember a couple of times ever going, and they were Disney movies, ever going to see something and having a short in front of it. Uh, Sword in the Stone. There was a, I think, a Winnie the Pooh cartoon, and then there was something else when uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol was released. It oh. was released with something else. <laughs> I remember Mickey's Christmas Carol. Yeah, you're I right. I love Mickey's Christmas Carol. <laughs> Disney always, always had shorts, um, but um, but the strange thing was, you know, here in the UK, you would have the most random, un- unsuitable shorts with these films. You know, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it was just uh, some sort of deal that the film company had with another film company. And I always remember Raiders Lost Ark. We had like a half an hour short before the sales adverts. Um, and it was called Late Flower in Love. OK. Oh, that, and, that sounds uh, extremely inappropriate. Well, what it, what it is, it, it, it was a series of poems by Sir John Betjeman. OK, with people just read reading poetry. And I remember there's one of himself, the poet himself, sat in a, like an apple orchard in the spring with like blossom falling. And he's just reading his poems. This was the short that they showed with Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't know why, <laughs> but I always remember that. It's like, what the heck? <laughs> and of course, yeah, that- You've got kids in the audience. The kids want to see, you know, Han Solo in this action film. You know, they want to see it. And you've got a a 30 minute short on poetry. Well, I suppose the point the the point could be made that uh, it was a way to inject some culture into your into your 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 children's experience. But uh, 
at the same time, that would have just impelled me to show up about a half an hour late to the movie. That it can't right. If you've got thirty minutes of culture immediately followed by an advert for your hot dogs, you know, your Coca-Cola <laughs> <laughs> and your Wolves ice cream. Yeah. Oh, dear. It was jarring. It was <laughs> it was jarring. Wow. Yeah. We never never had to never had to deal with that around here. Right. Okay. Right. Let's move on and 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 get on topic. Raiders Lost Ark. The sequence we're talking about today is the very opening. So uh, let's go ahead and have a clip. So the sequence starts. We've already had our lovely hero reveal of Indiana Jones. He's already one of the, ste- one of the best character reveals in the history of cinema. I love the way he just steps out of the uh, out of the darkness into the light like that. Disheveled, unshaven. Yeah. yeah. But you just know this guy is uh, we're going to follow this guy to the ends of the earth. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we we had already seen him as Han Solo. We know who Harrison Ford is, you know, and um, yeah, you're gonna, you know, you're going to be on his side. There's not going to be anything that's going to happen in this film that makes you suspect that he might actually, you know, not be a hero, eh? And that first shot when he does step out of the shade of the tree, and you've got that close up of, of his face, that that epitomizes a hero shot, does it not? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, his first action is is bullwhipping a gun out of a guy's hand. Yep. Yep. And you still trust the guy. You're still not you. There's never any doubt in my mind that this is a good guy Mm. somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Right. So let's get on to this sequence. The sequence starts with uh, you've got Indiana Jones and I can never say. Is it Sapito? Is it Sapito? it's he says Sapito. It sounds like he says Sapito. The script, the comic book, everything you ever read refers to him as Satipo. Yeah, the, T-I-P instead of P-I-T. Yeah, the T and the P are swapped round. Yeah. Yes, but it, so it's, I can't tell if it's just the way Ford says it or if he just said the wrong name or or what. But played by the great Alfred Molina, one of my favorite character actors. And it took me the longest time. I mean, this is the first time. I think it was his film debut, wasn't it? I think it was. 
Um, but it took me the longest time to realize that, hey, that's the guy from Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know? and, and you never do. You, you can see him in three movies in a row and not recognize the man. He's a chameleon. He certainly is. One of my I, favorite roles of his is in uh, is in Maverick, the uh, James Garner, Mel Gibson mm-hmm. film version of Maverick as uh, Angel, the uh, the poker player. Mm. Didn't yeah. even realize it was him at the time either. I think a lot of this to do is, you know, they, they they've tinted his skin somewhat here, haven't they? He's a lot darker skinned than because right. uh, he is, you know, you, you know, you see him and he is your traditional english guy you know <laughs> so right they, he's such a method actor he may have just he may have just done it himself he may have just willed his skin to, to, to get dark <laughs> he's that good an actor yeah what he's a chameleon good. right so um yeah we've had that reveal um and then you've got indiana jones and and sapito so i'm going to call him Sa- sapito because that's what harrison ford said and it's easier to say all right i understand and uh, they're going up to the entrance to the temple and of course this this part was filmed in Hawaii, wasn't it? I believe so. Yes, this was in Hawaii. They really did like globetrot to make this film, and this was all in Hawaii, standing in for the uh, jungles of, I believe, is supposed to be uh, is it South America? Or, mm. Yeah, South America or yeah. Africa? No, South, South America. America. Yeah, right. Yeah, and um, yeah, so that they're, they're up at the entrance to the uh, temple, and we've got the line. You know, his first line of all the Indiana, Indiana Jones films: uh, "This is it. This is where Forrestal cashed in." Um, and you know, we hear that there's already been somebody ahead of them, a competitor who's very good. Yeah. Friend of yours, a competitor. He was good. He was very good. Yeah. And in and they we go, get, nobody's come out of there alive. Please, please. So <laughs> just uh, economy of screenwriting here. Cause you, you think this is where Forrest all cashed in when I was a kid. I was like, wait, does that mean he made it? He, 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 he that's where he made his fortune and glory. Then I realized, oh, he means that's where he bought it. Yeah. Where he bought the farm. That's where he died. Yeah. And so just in, in, you know, in three lines, we've got everything we need to know about what's about to happen. Yeah. And the music is selling it as well. You know, John right. Williams, that, again, that, totally that guy on has a bright future. I think if he just sticks with this composing thing. It, it's it's funny. Last week we were um, discussing Lost in Space, and it's so strange to see the name Johnny Williams on the end credits because, <laughs> of course, he did the music for a lot of the Irwin Allen films, but he was known right. as Johnny Williams then. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Right. So they go in, and we get the switch then because that's an exterior in Hawaii, and then we cut to the cobweb corridor, um, which, of course, is um, in England. We're now in England right. at Elstree. And, Some wonderful um, production design. Well, it, it's Mr. Norman Reynolds, isn't it? Um, yes, it is. Who I have a great amount of uh, respect for. Brilliant guy. So we've got the cobweb corridor. They go in. It's lit very well as well. Um, and we've got some nice spooky whiz- um, We've got some nice spooky music from Johnny, haven't we? <laughs> yes. Yeah, he uh, yeah, he, he, you never you never have to worry about what you're supposed to be feeling with the John Williams score in this from this era, because mm. it will it will tell you exactly what is going on. Yeah. And, and he does it very like here, this moment where you just see the cobweb corridor and you see them in a distance and they're walking into it and you've got spooky music. But then we cut to a wide shot as they go properly in um, and um, the music changes a little bit again. Um, but the bit I like the most, I'm, I'm jumping ahead a, a, a few seconds, is when you first see the idol in the main temple there, the music becomes really quite peculiar and eerie. There's almost like a, you know, a jittery 
tone to the music, which I, I think is terrific. It is. And, you know, I, I mentioned before that you, you never know what you're supposed to be feeling with Williams. I don't mean that to say that it's he, he, he goes the obvious is so spot on that it evokes the proper yeah. response from just about anyone who's listening. If you have any sort of musical sensibility at all, you're going to yeah. know exactly you're going to you're going to be in that moment. Yeah. Right. So the the first thing that happens is they've gone through this cobweb corridor is we we get the spider moment don't which we? i hate Do i you? hate spiders anything with less legs than me or more legs than my dog i have no use for whatsoever see i'm so similar snakes to you and spiders are both right out i'm similar to you but it's anything that's got bigger genitals than me so uh anything <laughs> over a hamster um i don't like basically <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, sorry about this, Jeff. We've got to go through the spider thing. We have the whole senor. And um, you see that uh, Indiana Jones, he's got, what, four spiders on got him? Three or four on his, on his back. He hasn't got many, has he? And then no, he, and this, was, this was my first big laugh when I saw it as a kid. This was this is the first time that I, you know, I. So as, as a kid, I watched a lot of TV, watched a lot of movies, and I have a fairly ingrained sense of uh, a comedic sensibility. And I, I kind of just know what's going to be funny. And this is one of the first times that I, uh, that I realized how that worked, how that was going to work. Because when, you know, he, he turns Alfred Molina, sorry, Sapito Sep, <laughs> turns him around and his back is just covered with them. Yeah. And even though there were spiders, I still find it amusing uh, because yeah, I just yeah. assume they're uh, either fake or well-trained spiders. Well, well, behind behind the scenes will reveal that, won't it? But I remember when I watched this in the cinema, you know, it's it's very obvious what's going on here because Indiana Jones, you know, he he gives a little like little shrug and he he reaches over with, with his whip and knocks the spiders off his back, but you don't actually see it. You hear them thumping onto the ground, which is a great sound effect because just that thumping on the ground, you know, it infers that these are blooming great <laughs> spiders. But you right. never, you never actually see him knock a spider off of his, uh, off of his jacket. And when he goes to Sapito and goes to knock them off, his body conveniently blocks Sapito's back, and you see him motion in doing it. But you never see any of the spiders being knocked off of him. You hear the thump, thump, thump as they go on the ground. Because I'm guessing they didn't want to, I don't know, harm the, the spiders or put Alfred Molina in any sort of jeopardy or freak him out any more than he was. Um, but, you know, you never actually see a spider being knocked off at all, off of either of them. And it's not something you ever even consciously notice until you mentioned it. I had never noticed before that, yeah, you're absolutely correct. You don't yeah. see any of them actually falling. You just see them hitting the floor. So they're obviously two different. Yeah. yeah I, wow. That's again, that's Spielberg and his editor. Yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 I'm 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 quite I'm quite relieved to see that, you know, back when they were making this 7980, you know, that they were thinking about animal safety. You know, because if you had done that about 20 years before, you know, they'd be dead. <laughs> you know, they really would. Right. And I really wouldn't mind either way because again, it's spiders. Right? Okay, all right, fair enough. Right, we'll move on. <laughs> they they go along the corridor a little bit more, and the next se little sequence we have is the uh, stop, stay out of the light moment. Yes, and this is where this is. I love this sequence because it it, it sets up the intelligence of this character of Indiana mm. Jones. 
the intuitiveness and the intelligence of it. And, uh, but later on, I'll, that brings up, uh, we get a little more of his humanity later on, which I'll talk about when we get there. But, right. uh, this was the first time that I thought, Oh, we're in good, we're, again, we're in good hands with this guy. This guy knows, knows his stuff. And I, he's going to have to work overtime to keep this other guy safe because he's just going to blunder on through and probably cash in himself if he's not careful. Yeah. It's what you said earlier. I mean, without even having to, to have any exposition, exposition or anything, you know, that, He's either encountered this before or he's read about it because he sees that beam of light and he knows to actually, you know, back off and take care, doesn't he? Yes. My assumption is it's based on uh, not only research, but also field work, his own experience. He's yeah. probably seen similar things before and and, and realizes it because, I mean, really, how many how many different sets of booby traps can there possibly be in the world? <laughs> The thing that occurred to me, though, I mean, you know, doing podcasts where, where, where you study and you analyze, you know, scenes and, and really think hard about them. Something that's only occurred to me now is how does this thing work? Because it's a beam of light. And if you break the beam of light, the trap is sprung. But what happens if, say, a cloud goes across the sun? That's breaking a beam of light. Wouldn't it spring then? Um, the other thing is what happens at nighttime when there's no sunlight. And then the last one uh, th that's only just occurred to me now is you break that beam of light. The spike frame comes out. All right. With Forrestal attached. But surely that's then got to be go back into the wall again. How does that then go back into the wall? Well, I have a theory on this. I have two oh. theories, actually. One of them is the natives go in and reset it after the trap has been sprung. If that is the case, why they wouldn't remove the dead body, I don't mm. know. My second theory is, don't question it, it's just the movies. <laughs> I think I'll take the latter. Because, because like you, that's not something that I even even remotely considered until you started talking about. I was like, oh, wow, this is a huge plot hole. Yeah, the, these questions I've just given you, I've never thought in all these years of watching the film, I've never, it's never occurred to me, but it's only because I'm studying it now. It's like, yeah, hang on a minute. <laughs> yeah. and, and again, I think that's a credit to the film that, you know, I've been watching it almost literally my entire life and that's never occurred to me because you just accept the world of this film with no questions asked. Yeah, yeah. But there he is, Forrestal, he's on, he's on his uh, spiky rack. And, and it's a lovely it, it's a it's our first gruesome moment of the film as as his head turns and you get that crackling as his neck turns towards uh, Indiana, doesn't it? Yes. As if to say, uh, you might not want to want to continue down this path, son. Uh, yeah. Bad things happen. I, I, I don't know if it is, but that the sound effect is very much like when Darth Vader chokes Antilles at the beginning of the first Star Wars where he breaks his neck. You got that noise. Of I the... wouldn't be surprised if it was the same, if it was the exact same sound effect. Well, it's Ben Burt. Both of them are Ben Burt. So it, it could be that he's reused it. I have to look in my Sound of Star Wars book for that thing and see if he says, oh, yeah, and I, I, I redid it in Raiders. Yeah, I'll have to have a look. The other thing I like about all, it. Yeah. No, the, the other thing I like is um, his eyes. They are, they are so pretty... creepy. I've actually got it freeze framed right now on my TV. Right. That that actual moment. And yeah, this is so creepy. 
it's his eyes. It's the way he turns slowly to look. It's almost like he is, you know, an undead. He turns to look at Indiana Jones with those dead eyes. And you've also got that great reaction from Alfred Molina with his with his fist in his mouth. You know? yeah, screaming and yeah, and just yeah, screaming like a uh, like a frightened child. And I mean, I would probably be doing the same thing. <laughs> I don't know if that's an ad lib by Alfred Molino. I don't know if if Steven Spielberg says, "Come on, do this, put your fist in your mouth." But <laughs> it's such a natural natural reaction. It's not your typical Hollywood reaction to a scare, is it? No, my guess is they they it's probably something he just did because again, it's Alfred Molina. He's yeah. he's a wonderful actor. And I'm sure my guess is they probably did several different reactions and that's the one they went with because it like you said, it's it's unusual, but it's it's real. Mm, it's awkward yeah. and that's exactly you would you would yeah i, I don't that's probably exactly what i would do actually yeah, what i would do is be too. about 10 feet outside the cave right now you'd still be running now wouldn't you <laughs> yeah, i would still i would still be yes i would so i would be running across the water to the plane mind you if you run away you've got the spiders so maybe you wouldn't do that you make a good point yeah just stay still jeff stay still okay that's what All i right. tend to do anyway Okay, all right. We'll move a little bit further down the corridor, and we've got the whip across the pit bit, haven't we? Yes. And first, first uh, indication that oh, this bullwhip is a multi-purpose tool that he uses, because we've seen him use it to disarm the uh, the gunman, and now he's used it to swing across. So, uh, when I was a kid, every kid, every boy wanted a bullwhip, and I had a couple of friends who had them. Yeah, fake ones, obviously. And I was always amazed at how long these things were. If I ever tried to use one. Uh, in fact, the, the two times I tried to whip one, I hurt myself. You know, hitting myself in the face. Why have children got bull whips? Well, because it was I, I wanted an Indiana Jones bull whip. Actually, it wasn't mine. A friend of mine had one. I think his dad had gotten one. Oh, it, oh, it know, was a I real guess, one. This is it was a real one. Yeah, this one, this actual one was a real one. I, I, you know, now that I think about it, I don't know why this guy had a bull whip because they didn't own bulls. Um, I, I don't. <laughs> I should probably stop asking questions about my 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 friend's parents' uh, activities. Maybe his dad was point. a Indiana Jones fan as well. I don't think he had seen the movie. That was a thing. Uh, yeah. Why? Yeah. Let's not go there. <laughs> best not so, for, Best not travel down. So we get the other uh, Sapito. He he doesn't quite make it, and um, I love I love the surliness of Indiana Jones to Sapito. He really doesn't like him, does he? Yeah, no. Well, I mean, would you look at this guy? You know, he's <laughs> he's having to he's having to to coax him to come along, and then he's having to save him because he can't swing across. Uh, what is that about a twelve foot? Yeah, ten twelve foot chasm. <laughs> and this is the one spot that you can almost see that it's that it's a set. And it's only because um, I have a degree in theater. So I have a background in theater. So I've worked with uh, foam core that has been used to, to make it look mm -hmm. like rocks and styrofoam. And this is the only time that I can look at it and be like, OK, I can kind of see that this is this is all foam core or styrofoam that's been painted. It looks phenomenal. But there's there's just something about it that looks a little too well preserved. Yeah, and I think in this little bit as well, the lighting is very bright in this bit, isn't it? Yeah, and where is that light coming from? I was going to say, it does beggar the question, where is all the light in this place coming? It must be like an open pyramid or something like that. You know, it's open to the elements. And again, never, never, never questioned it until now. No, no. Right, so they go into the main chamber, and as I say, that's where we get this eerie, almost mystical music. 
and we get what a I love, very. They, they walk past. They walk past this uh, this sundial looking thing that yes. is just kind of in the background. Uh, you you don't even notice it, and then when if you stop and ever freeze frame on it, the thing is gorgeous. It looks like a gong to me. It looks like a gong that's that will feature in the like next. Like a cutout gong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like in the next Indiana Jones film, you know, the big Just, metal gong. Yeah, it's a great bit of set dressing, but serves no no purpose. No purpose, but it's just again just attention to detail and there's grass or moss growing i don't know if i guess it's probably supposed to be moth and but it's right in the direct sunlight so yeah i'll buy it i'll yeah. buy that we also get a very small slow pan towards the idol as that music's going you know which increases the sense of foreboding and threat doesn't it yeah you're thinking maybe maybe this isn't the best idea yeah and um oh Pito, he goes let us hurry there's nothing to fear here and indiana stops him and he says oh that's what scares me and this is the bit that i I never liked when i watched it back in the 80s is you've got all these trigger steps set in the floor and each step that will set off the arrows has a convenient piece of moss just filling the indent in doesn't it well but i guess that kind of makes sense because those are the ones the rest of the stones wouldn't have anything there there wouldn't be an opening around them yeah but by looking at it, you know which one's not to stand on. Wouldn't it? If, well, if you, I, sorry. No, I'm just saying it, 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 I, the logic of it makes sense to me, but I understand where, where you're coming from. You know, it seems like it was very poor planning on the part of the, uh, the, uh, Hovitos. Yeah. I just thought it, it would be a more of a deadlier threat. If the whole of that floor was co- covered with one layer of moss and you couldn't see any of the steps but then of course he'd be dead <laughs> on his right. first step so that i've just answered it for myself haven't i okay <laughs> right. and, well and, and this sequence actually shows us one something i wanted to mention uh as he's walking through he's he's careful to sidestep all of them but he almost falls he mm. trips and almost falls over this is the first time we see this guy isn't perfect this is not james bond no, this and, is this is Han Solo. This is a total Han Solo moment, isn't it? <laughs> yes, and and I love it because it shows us, oh, this guy, this guy's human, just like the rest of us. He's not going to always have the right answer, and it's followed up by, we'll get to it in just a second, an, an, another instance of that. So, yeah, yeah, I like I like the comedy arrow effect when he, you know, he, he he presses down and and you get an arrow come out and you get the proper doing noise to it, don't you? Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> So, so we move on from that. We get the nice and tense, the whole tiptoeing um, as he goes along. And I like the way that we cut to the stone faces on the side walls as if the stone faces are watching him. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And you're just waiting for something to, to shoot out at him because he's, he's miscalculated. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's building up the tension. You, you know, you've got these quite scary faces looking at him. But it's also telling you, you know, and reminding you that's where the arrows are going to be coming from. Right. And, and, and I love that we have, you know, several different types of faces in the wall as well. Yeah. Yeah. Just really, like you said, really great production design. People forget this film was nominated for several Academy Awards. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. The Idol. Yeah. The Idol. Okay. Uh, we see the Idol close up for the first time. Um, have you seen close up photos of the prop of the Idol? I have. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's a fertility idol. 
Yeah, I, I, I was wondering I how I was going to put this. I actually have a bank. I have a, I have a vinyl bank. Oh, you've got one of the piggy of bank things. Yeah, yes. I, I, I saw them once in Forbidden Planet, and, it's like, and it was only like £10. And it's like, oh, I've got to get one of them. Never got it. And I've always regretted it because it's pretty darn accurate, isn't it? It's it's not shiny, but as far as the, the design of it goes, it is spot on. It is yeah. perfect. Uh, it's not, you know, obviously it's not as shiny. It's a little darker gold. Uh, I ordered it from my local, local comic shop as soon as they became available because at the time they were, I think, twenty bucks here. Right. And uh, yeah, and uh, it's it's in <laughs> oddly enough, it's in my bedroom right behind my bed. I didn't even think about the uh, the appropriateness of that placement. But uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a fertility idol in the truest sense of the word. There's uh, there's some man bits sticking out. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm no. Let's not. <laughs> I want to keep the PG rating. Any, anybody Got who it. wants to actually uh, know what we're talking about, go onto the Facebook page. I'll put up a nice, big, clear photo so you can see what we're on about. <laughs> Do you know also about the story of the moving eyes for the idol? The moving eyes. No, I haven't heard this story. Yeah, Please. yeah, yeah. Again, I'll, I'll put the photo up on on Facebook. But originally, the idol, the eyes of the idol were actually meant to move. Okay. Okay. Um, and I think it's a reference. There is a storyboard, and I'll I, I put that on Facebook as well. And the storyboard says the idol seems to be watching Indiana as he as he approaches. And there's a photo where you, you see Steven Spielberg and the the effects guys, and they're around the plinth that the idol's on, and it's taken from the back of the idol, and the 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 rear of the idol has been removed, and there is like a cable device to actually make the eyes move okay oh so, wow that would have been even double creepy yeah now when you actually watch the the final version of the film when you look at that idol you can see those eyes are just sculpted onto the idol they were never going to move those ones so there must have been another idol that did have moving eyes maybe they were i don't know maybe gems for eyes or something like that but yeah they originally they were actually meant to move and watch him approach the uh, the bearded trio has a uh, a close up photo of of the idol thebeardedtrio.com that looks like it might have some might have those eyes in it because they look almost human Oh, I have to go and have a look at that. It's eerie. I'll uh, I'll I'll send you the link for that. I I don't know why they maybe they decided not to do it because it it wasn't very effective. I think maybe if that had happened, I don't think that would have played so well because you know there is a, a mystical supernatural, if you like, element to this film, but it's much later into the third act that you finally get all that. So to actually have something along those lines at the very beginning, I think might have, you know, tipped the card too soon, maybe, if you like. Well, and I think everything here so far, everything we've seen has been uh, very practical. Yeah, it's real world, isn't it? I hope that the Hovitos would have been able to design themselves, and that seems like a step too far. So I think they made the right choice here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Instead of doing it with some sort of supernatural ability, it's just a solid gold idol. yeah. Okay, we now, now now get you know just a, a classic moment when Indy he's weighing up the sand um, and trying to gauge and you know and he, he's making the sand fall through his fingers and we get that beautiful close up of the idol almost watching his hand as he's doing it you know the music's building and building and I love this moment I think it's absolutely brilliant. Well, you skipped over his face rub, his very dramatic oh yes yeah, yeah face yeah. rub when he when he gets that very soap opera moment of acting from Harrison Ford, but uh, yeah, this moment and he 
and, and I love it, hmm. throws it all out. And it is, you're right, it is. It's exactly like the idol is watching him as if to say, are you sure? You might want to yeah. add a little more there. I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know, buddy. Yeah, I think what you were saying earlier as well, I mean, this this rubbing of the chin, he's not Sean Connery, James Bond. He doesn't know, you know, exactly how to go about this. You know, he has got a bit of a conundrum. He's not a know-it-all. And, uh, you know, he's flawed and he's not that, you know, in control, is he? And it, no, he's not in it. And it makes him much more relatable, much more human. And I think it's it's a big reason why that along with obviously Harrison Ford's performance and the writing. But I think that is a big reason why the character has stayed so well loved in the public consciousness, mm. despite the fact that we haven't had any new films since. I don't know. When did Last Crusade come out? Uh, 85. 89. Wasn't it? it was 89. 89. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm, of course, conveniently skipping over King of the Crystal Skull uh, <laughs> because, uh, yeah, uh, um, the less said, the better. But, yeah, it's always <laughs> been amazing to me that uh, that Raiders has it's a generational because I know I know kids who are who are 10, 11, 12 years old now who love Indiana Jones, mm. yeah. love this first film, love love Temple of Doom and love Last Crusade. I don't know if they love Kingdom of the Crystal Skull because that just never comes up in conversation when I'm around. But uh, I, I think that's a big reason why the yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely. This this moment, what also is helping, as I say, you know, you've got this terrific performance from Harrison Ford. You've got the music building and building uh, by Johnny, um, but you've also got Alfred Molina, you know, doing his wiggling fingers bit. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of my favorite moments. I wonder, I have to wonder if that was scripted, if it was storyboarded or, or, or what, because it's, that's one of those moments that, you know, every one of us knows if we were in that same situation, if we were Satipo, Sapito, whatever we want to call him, hmm. we would be doing the same thing. And I love the way he's rubbing his fingers and he, and it cut, they cut to him after he makes the exchange and his, his hands are doing exactly what Indiana Jones is doing. It's just those moments like that, those little tiny moments are what sets this film apart from uh, something like, Alan Quartermain in the Lost City of Gold, which yeah. was a, a ripoff starring Richard Chamberlain. Yeah. Uh, you know, you just don't get those little human moments in it. No, no, you're absolutely right. But the the switch happens, and I love the way that the music it's built and built. And as he makes the switch, the music stops. You know, it right. just stops dead. And you know, we get Sapito, we get the sigh of relief from him, as you say, a very human moment. And it, it's just a brilliant comedy moment you know that he uh indiana he, he he doffs his hat turns around very relieved goes to go <laughs> and we see what he doesn't see which is the plinth very slowly start to drop back down you know right and i love this the look that he gives up above it to the to the wall back there as he goes to walk off like as if to say thank you or i got you or <laughs> i don't know what he's saying to it but it's that 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 look could save just about anything and yeah it starts to move he turns around and you see this os moment on his face yeah yeah and then everything starts falling apart and again we've got we, we've got to thank you know um ben burt for the sound effects here because i'm sure if you were on set and they went right action and you've got some you know some guys off off out of shot just pushing plaster pillars down it'll just you know it'll be nothing but the but the sound effects is all these things because uh, they're almost like explosive charges. You have a sound effect of it going doof like that before it actually starts falling. You know, something right. has triggered, um, you know, or, or levers have, have fallen into place. And it's all, almost like an explosive noises as these things start falling, don't they? 
they do and then that the 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 noise of stone on stone mm. is perfect i don't know i again i don't know what he used for that but it is perfect because it's just that that sort of grinding sound of the 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 wall just coming down and just makes you it makes your skin crawl yeah because you've got all this sound now you've got john john williams's music is back with a vengeance you know and they've got to yes. get the heck out of there um and they and they Get back to the pit, and we've got the whole "give me the whip, throw me the idol, no time to argue" moment, don't we? Yeah, uh, funny how uh, Satipo can can swing across just fine on his own yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. So it yeah, kind of yeah. makes me wonder if uh, he was just playing before. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But we get the adios, senor, and uh, as the door starts to lower, and he just drops the whip, doesn't he? Scumbag. Yeah. Adios, senor. <laughs> and. Indiana, he he tries to do the leap, and uh, a very I tell you what, it always reminds me of Blade Runner. Uh, at the end of Blade Runner, where he's got to jump he from one building to the other, building. it's yeah. the same leap, isn't it? It's the same actor doing the same sort of leap and landing and same, in pretty much exactly the same, the same way. In almost the same shot, and this was only a year earlier. So, huh, mm. I wonder if he thought, you know, I've done this before. We did this really cool thing in this movie I've got coming out called Raiders of the Lost Ark. And Ridley Scott said, well, nobody's going to see that movie. Yeah. <laughs> could be could be the next bit that happens though i i've never liked it that you get a shot from down in the pit looking up at indiana jones and he's trying to like scramble up and get his legs up and there's some terribly false plastic rocks that he kicks away with his feet they're covered by cobwebs and he sort of like just glances at them with his legs and they just fall away there's they don't seem to have any sense of weight or mass to them at all they they, they just fall away so lightly and so easily i think you're right and it's not something i've ever noticed either um i just it didn't it just never bothered me because it just looked like some rocks are denser than others. That's kind of how I took it. Mm. Uh, so it I, never bothered me at all. That's okay. you. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're, you're kind of on your own on that one. I just, it did all right. <laughs> again, never noticed it. Never bothered me. All right. Fair enough. Okay. Um, the music is really selling it as he's trying to like scramble up. And we keep seeing that the, <laughs> the blooming door is still getting lower and lower. Don't we? Yeah. This is the, this is the, this is the only real problem I have with this film is this door gets l- lower, lower, lower and then all of a sudden it's up about 10 inches yep. higher than it was that's yep. the only <laughs> issue i have with it uh i feel like that could have been edited a little better but um again if if you think of this as a throwback to the serials of the 40s and 50s mm. that's probably the same kind of stuff that they pulled in those uh, yeah. on uh, on purpose so I'll, I'll again the movie has enough goodwill already at this point that i'll cut it a little bit of slack but it is the one thing that strains credibility for me, yeah, you had the rock. Yeah, I, I have the I have the door. Yeah, but I don't mind it because I immediately forget about that because once he's through and you've got that lovely moment where he he pulls his bullwhip back through just in time, doesn't he? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that was a first take or what, but the timing on that is amazing. Yeah, it is. It, yeah, it's it's just the whip. I don't know why I was thinking his hat. He had to go after his hat. I think that's another film. But this is uh, you know again kind of the first. The the whip is sort of an extension of him, so he can't leave it behind, and he saves yeah. the whip. And and going back and rewatching it, I do see the the sequence you're talking about, the shot where the uh, the wall of the rock that he lands on kind of flops like carpeting. Yeah, yeah. I never noticed that. So, but yeah, then we uh, we find the uh, final resting place of his his uh, his loyal companion. 
is treacherous companion. I'll tell you what I don't like about this. I mean, we get that a tremendous thud as the door comes down and he, he, he heads off. We get a bit of foreshadowing because you just, we cut away to a, just a shadowy shot. Of, I don't know if that's his shoulder, but it's kind of like just letting us know that something creepy is just about to happen. And I think the, the shot would have had far more impact if this little insert hadn't happened first. You, yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. Again, this this scene is is so well constructed that I never even stopped to question anything. But I think you're absolutely right. Is yeah, we and we and we get a nice little breather there. He stops to look at him, and you know, adios, Sapito. Yeah, now here we are. Right, we're at him now, Sapito. There he is. He he's on the spiky frame. This is the problem that I have with this sequence. Is the dummy Sapito just? I've got two problems with it. Number one, I mean, facially, the sculpture of him is fine. Not a problem with that. The number one problem I've got with it are his eyes. There's something up with his eyes there. OK, and I, I was looking at, at, at it and I think his eyes are too white. They are like bright white. And of course, eyes aren't white. They've got a bit of cream to them and, and they look far, far too white and, and far too fake. They don't look like real eyes at all to me. What, what, yeah. what do you think? I think you're absolutely right, but I only notice it when I freeze frame it. You know, the big the reason you notice it is because his teeth look so so real. Mm. The teeth on it are not yeah. bright, gleaming white. They're sort of yellowed, like uh, they're sort of just like cream colored, like you would expect the uh, the uh, the whites of his eyes to be. And yeah. in such close proximity, it makes the the white of the eye just really gleam. Yeah. And you you could you could argue that it's the way the light is hitting it, but I think you're right. It's probably just the technology of the time. But they move on from it so quickly that I never yeah. even noticed. Yeah. The other problem I've got with it is the fact that he's been spiked the way he has because the, the the frame comes out of one side wall and goes towards the other side wall, but he's been speared right down the middle. So he was actually facing 90 de- degrees to the direction that he would have been running in. If 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 that if he had tripped that beam, the spike rack would have come out and it would have hit him in the side, wouldn't it? Do you see what I mean? But Possibly. he's got him clear right through the back mean. of the head. And again, I'll be I'll be the Raiders apologist here. Uh, it's possible he was looking back behind him to make sure that Indiana wasn't on his trail. Oh, he was in mid-turn, you think? He was in mid-turn. Uh, and he heard a noise and said, what is that? And that happened. That, that's See, what I'm going to choose to think. Now, I'll buy that because I, I was thinking, well, that doesn't happen with Forrestal because he hasn't been speared through the head. And he could have been speared in the side and his head then turns to yeah, face Indiana right. Jones. But because Alfred Medellina has been speared straight in the back of the head and out through the forehead. No, all right, I, I, I'll take that answer. He was turning to see if Indiana Jones had made it. Right, and, and I love that there's even one coming through his neck. Yeah. the bottom. He's now, just, yeah, he's just skewered. We, we said, you know, that uh, when you first see Forrestal, that's pretty gruesome, you know, for a, a, a PG film. And here, here we have poor old Alfred speared. Um, now, I used to go, as I say, we used to show this, it used to come back and we used to show it a lot. And I used to time sequences of many films and I used to just go in and watch them again and again and again. And I remember the audience had a problem with this moment. They had a problem with in this film. They had a problem with Forrestal. They had a problem with Alfred here. They had the problem of obviously with the uh, the heads at the end of the film. But the biggest problem most people had with was um, just before the fight around the plane 
in this film is the snake coming out of the mouth of the skeleton. Yes, that creeps me. That is the most disgusting thing and the creepiest thing in this entire film. Yeah. When that happens, I have I literally have to look away that sequence. And, you know, that's because that's right around the time Marion gets just they, they just collapse on her. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That triggers every ick that I have. And <laughs> that coupled with the snake, I, it, it was sort of a, I, it, we shouldn't have been surprised by the goriness of Temple of Doom after that sequence. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely right. And, you know, as I say, I used to time it and I used to go in and I used to, you know, watch the sequence. But I, I would also be watching the audience, especially if it was a Saturday afternoon and you had a lot of like little nine year olds in there. You know? Right. Oh, that's that's fascinating. I would have probably done the same thing. I want to see what yeah. they say. What they have, what happens in this happens? Yeah, it was great. It was great. But you're right. Yeah. That, that Then it's like adios, Sapito. And again, we get more sound effects. And he looks up and a great, you know, reaction shot from Harrison Ford then because we get the ball gag next, next, don't we? Yes. And again, uh, just this, a classic. This, <laughs> and, and I want to say this sequence where he turns around and looks, I, I don't know if you've ever seen the film UHF with Weird Al Yankovic in it. No. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, Weird Al is one of my heroes, so I love UHF. This is parodied in that film. Uh, he's doing a he's doing a spoof. He owns a television station, and they're spoofing a bunch of old movies. In this sequence, he's wearing the hat and everything, the jacket and everything, and he turns his he doesn't turn around. He just turns his head around all of the Exorcist to look at this boulder <laughs> coming at it, and then starts running. And it's it's just hilarious. This was '89 when it came out. It actually came out the week uh, the same we opened the same weekend as Batman. Uh, right. UHF did, which was the same summer as Last Crusade, and it's one of my this 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 sequence has been spoofed and parodied in so many films, but that one will always be my favorite by virtue of the fact that Weird Al was involved. Yeah, but, yeah, but but onto this actual <laughs> sequence, yeah, his his reaction again. Harrison Ford uh, is is starting to get the credit as, as an actor that he never got in the eighties, but his reaction is so real and yeah. so human. It's yeah. it's it's You're almost a sigh, isn't it? It's yeah. like, oh. <laughs> I think now, you know, if this film was made now, you know, with a modern action star, you would either get some sort of expletive or you'd get a, you know, a tightening of the jaw. But but no, no, you're right. He's absolutely that that the humanity in him. You know, it's very real, isn't it? Yes, it is. And and we see more of that in, in a second. We'll talk, when, you know, when he starts running away from it, uh, we see him. You know, but then the big reveal is is one of my favorite moments in any film ever. Mm. Because it, it, it pans up and we just see this huge rock coming after him. See, I can't remember the very first time I saw the film and I, I don't remember whether I'd read about it or I'd, I know Marvel had a comics adaptation of it and i don't know if i knew what was coming but that boulder is bloody huge <laughs> it is and it was uh, what it was like 22 feet in diameter not not in yeah. diameter, uh, circumference circumference yeah 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 so it's, it's, it's a big yeah it's, it's 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 very large it's at least 10 feet in diameter i would yeah. imagine yeah, yeah 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 and and it's moving fast and it's and it's knocking rocks out the way <laughs> everything and he's off isn't he he's out of there um well and and the first shot we get of him running toward us he turns a corner and stumbles yes and gets back up and that was that was a that was a mistake that was just one take where he happened to stumble and Spielberg just i decided 
that that's Indiana Jones. We want to leave that in. And again, this is another example of this guy's not perfect. This guy's fallible. This guy's human. He's one of us. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're running away from a big boulder and you look behind you, you're going to trip and fall. Yeah. But unlike me, who would just lay there and say, OK, I guess this is it. Indiana Jones gets up and keeps running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And boy, does he run. Um, I, I've never I've, I've got it on Blu-ray. I've got a big TV. I, I didn't see any spiders being squashed there, but you can only hope, couldn't you, Jeff? Right. I would assume that they were that they were crying out in agony. That, that they right. are greasing the ball on its journey and speeding it up. I think you're probably right, and that's, that's and that's what they're good for. So there you go. That's, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, there he goes. He's chased by the ball. He goes through the cobweb and uh, out he goes into the fresh air with a very satisfying uh, thud on the sound effects as the ball rams home. Right through a big cobweb too. Yep. Yep. And that's it. That's our sequence over. The sequence is just from going into the temple to coming out of the temple. All right. Um, so with that discussed, we go on to behind the scenes. Now, I know you've been looking into it um, and I've been looking into it. Um, so shall I start? Sure. Right. Do you know on just a quick word on Indiana Jones? Do you know about his connection to Charlton Heston? I do, and I only know this because it's been in the news recently. I don't know if you've seen the thing going around uh, Facebook or the internet where um, some guy tried to mansplain to the costume designer how she was wrong about the the uh, inspiration for his costume. It was a Jeopardy question recently. Oh, no, I don't know anything about this. Yeah, there was a Jeopardy question recently, and uh, the, the Jeopardy question mentioned, what is it, the... Uh, the Lost City of the Incas or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody launched onto Twitter and saying, actually, this is incorrect. It was the greatest show on earth. And I can't remember the lady's name who was a costume designer. Uh, I should have it committed to memory. Uh, replied back to him and said, no, actually, it was this because that came first. And he started yeah. arguing with her about it. And her response finally was, well, um, I was sitting in the, the theater alone with Steven Spielberg when we screened the, the Inca movie. So I'm pretty sure I'm right on this one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, have you ever seen The Secret of the Incas? I have not. Uh, I'm I'm not really well versed in those pulp films from the 50s, but uh, I I really want to now. I yeah, never you even should. heard that until this. I'd never even heard of that one. Oh no, it's it, it's been out there for quite a while. You know the 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 connection. Yeah, Secret of the Incas, as you say, a pulp, a perfect description for it, a pulp 50s film, um, and a very Indiana Jones title. You know, you could call it. Indiana film. Jones and the Lost City of the Incas, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it, it's it, if you Google images, Charlton Heston, Secret of the Incas. Um, it, Charlton Heston is totally and utterly Indiana Jones. The outfit is absolutely identical. Um, his character's called a guy called Harry Steele, um, and he's looking for hidden ancient treasure in a South American jungle. Oh, what a surprise! And he even gets to raid a temple. In the jungle, I'm okay. looking at a photo now, and it does. He, yeah, it's it's the exact yeah. same thing. And in this shot, there even looks like there's something behind him that looks a bit like the Ark of the Covenant. Yep. And I tell you what, on YouTube, I'll put the link up on Facebook. But uh, on YouTube, um, there's a sequence from this film where they've put 
Indiana Jones music over the top, <laughs> and it. and it it's it's uncanny. It is absolutely uncanny. There are there are parts of the film and parts of that sequence. If you type in, you know, Secret of the Incas with Indiana Jones music, when Charlton Heston actually turns and you can't see his face, you would swear that's Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones because the hat is exactly the same, the jacket, the big baggy trousers, exactly the same. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, eighties is someone like Steven Spielberg could just straight up steal from a film mm. that they loved as a kid and nobody noticed it because the films weren't all readily available. Whereas today, if you do it, you're not paying homage, you're ripping off because culture doesn't leave. Yeah. Um, and you say about ripping off there or homaging, um, Steven Spielberg got inspiration for this opening sequence from a Uncle Scrooge comic. Yeah, I think it was Lucas had remembered this comic. Oh, I heard was, it was Spielberg. Okay, well, I I guess it doesn't really matter. Uh, well, I just the only thing I read was Lucas and Spielberg, so it either one wouldn't remind, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. But yeah. it was the Seven Cities of is it Cibola? I think it's Cibola, yeah, and that that's what gave him the inspiration to uh, develop the temple sequence. Again, I'll I'll put some pages from it up on Facebook, and you can see it. <laughs> it is very similar to what we've just been talking about. You know, we, we give these guys so much credit for being so inventive and everything. And then you realize when you're an adult, oh, they were just. Yeah. It's much in much the same way that someone like a Quentin Tarantino takes his lifetime of film trivia knowledge and crafts something unique and fresh mm. out of it. Spielberg and Lucas were just doing it 20 years earlier, 25 yeah. years earlier. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> OK, right. Um. We mentioned him earlier. Norman Reynolds was the production designer and the uh, the whole temple set was built at Elstree. Um, there's a great photo where you see it from the outside. It's in it's in in one of the uh, studios and from the outside. It just looks like a big wooden dome. Everything's on the inside. It was an enclosed uh, set there. They could, um, they could control the light then, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's much like uh, what Ridley Scott did with Alien. He built the actual corridors and the bridge and all the engine room and medical of the Nostromo were all interconnected with with roofs. So if you needed to get from the bridge to the medical bit, you had to go through the very corridors, you know. Had to to follow the route in the film, yeah. Yeah, and same thing here. Um, I guess you know the famous story of the spiders being too slow when they initially filmed the spider bit. (laughs) I, I remember something vaguely about it. and they, they How did they solve the problem? I always remember, I, I haven't watched it for ages. One of the documentaries, you've got Alfred Molina, and he, he's chuckling to himself about how, you know, Steven Spielberg was getting very frustrated because they are moving too slow. And he's like shouting, why are they moving too slow? Why are they moving too slow? And the spider wrangler was saying, well, it's because they're all male. Um, and if you get a female and <laughs> put a female They'll in there, that, that will scurry them. And yeah, they, they did that. that. Yeah. And Alfred Molina's <laughs> laughing his head off because they just went mad. You know? <laughs> Blimey. Oh, oh boy. That's the stuff yeah, I, you don't I, ever think about when you're making a film. No, no, but <laughs> right. Um, the special effects supervisor, Kip West, he wanted, the the darts in in the dart part to to actually be a mechanical effect so they they were real arrows but they were rubber tipped now 
even though they're rubber tipped, I've, I've got a feeling they must hurt if they hit you in the wrong, wrong place, wouldn't they? I can't. I can imagine. So anything. I don't care how soft something is. If it's flying at you like that, it's you're going to feel it when it hits you. Uh, and yeah. especially, you know, they you always talk about you know rubber tip bullets, rubber bullets, and things like that. They can still still leave a bruise, knock the wind out of you if they hit you in just the right spot. They can crack a rib. So uh, I'm I'm surprised that they. I'm not. I, I guess I'm not surprised. I think in this day and age, there's no way that would be a practical effect. Uh, but uh, I think it certainly does add to the the realism of the sequence by knowing that that they were really really arrows yeah, flying yeah, yeah. at the actors. Because when you when you see Harrison Ford and he's running towards the camera and he's you know got the idol and they, they go in, he looks pretty concerned that all these tiny little arrows are firing at him, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, and to show the audience just where they were coming from, there were puffs of um, uh, dust firing from some of the faces on the sidewalls just to clue, um, you know, people into, you know, where these arrows are coming from. And I, and I love that because there there would be there would be dirt, grime, dust had, would have collected in these these openings, these orifices over the, mm. you know, however many years or, or, or decades they'd been sitting there. And it's that that attention to detail that you don't get with a lot of filmmakers. But no. Spielberg and Lucas pay such close attention to that and their production designers think these things through yeah, down to the very last detail. And that's, again, that's the sort of stuff that it, it, it's not conscious. You don't consciously notice that, but it much like John Williams music, it just sort of reinforces the mood, the emotion, and in this case, the reality of the situation. And it's, it's just that little extra touch that extra extra bit of care that was taken with it that yeah. i think sets these films apart from anything like them that's out there it's it's classy stuff because as you say it, it all looks and feels real but it's in a it's in a film studio just outside london but you believe you're in a south american temple don't yeah. you i never once question it not even no, when, not, not even when i see the, the rocks flapping like a curtain <laughs> <laughs> okay we'll move forward a little bit to the giant boulder <clears throat> the giant boulder was on a hidden track um I, I guess making it not unlike you know um on a pinball machine when you fire the ball initially how right. it goes up to a track and around it was that kind of affair you world's, know world's biggest pinball yeah and it was fiberglass right. uh, although pretty pretty heavy between 300 and 800 pounds. I don't know. They don't have an actual weight on it, but depending on who you ask, it weighed between 300 and 800. Yeah. So I, I don't know if that maybe there was a giant hamster in it at some point when they weighed it or, <laughs> or what. But uh, yeah, not something you, I mean, Harrison Ford could have very easily gotten hurt if it, if it rolled over him. Yes. Yes. Um, now the, the run from the boulder is actually in two parts. Uh, the first part is, is the one that Harrison Ford did. Um, but it ends with the stuntman Martin Grace. He's the guy at the very end who jumps through the cobweb when it's almost caught him up. Right. Um, he's actually jumping onto a, a series of mattresses. If you look yes. at the behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah. But the initial run, when it first starts coming down, I guess, the ramp, that's Harrison Ford. And on one of the Blu-ray uh, features, you see a little bit of behind the scenes of Harrison Ford doing that. And you've also got the set photographer 
is there with his camera and he's running as well. Oh, wow. You see him like, t- yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in the foreground. You've, the ball is coming down. You've got Harrison Ford looking at it. He takes a quick photo and then he, he's running just ahead of Harrison Ford, you know? How'd you like to have that job? Yeah. <laughs> you get hazard like you for s- that. Yeah, like you said earlier, Harrison Ford, he did the run 10 times. He made it each time, but it was, as you say, Spielberg used the take where he stumbles and goes down on one knee because that's what that that's far more natural than just doing it perfectly, isn't well, it? That and and it also heightens the tension too because oh yeah. oh no he fell again Spielberg just nine times out of ten will always make the right choice hmm. with a take with a cut with anything. And again, this is just another example of the the mastery that he has over the over his craft. Hmm. All right. Well, that's all my behind the scenes I've got. Have you got anything? I do extra, have. Jeff? I do have something. Do you know what the sound of the boulder rolling was? I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. Well, I'll tell I you. Remember. Go on in. Ben Burt tried rocks of all different sizes. He walked around kicking rocks around. Just couldn't couldn't find the right sound. He's driving along on the highway one day, driving around uh, uh, a, a, a mountain range, and there were some rocks and everything on the road. And he realized the sound of the tires of his Honda Civic were exact was exactly the sound that he needed. So what you're hearing is the sound of his Honda Civic rolling over a bed of rocks. Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> he said he set up a bed of rocks and just rolled over it several times, backwards, forwards, everything, and mixed it all together. And that's the sound that we get of the boulder. That again, that 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 giant rock rolling down this this stone and dirt pathway is a Honda, a Honda, is a Civ- Honda Civic, Civic, a nineteen probably late seventies <laughs> Honda Civic. Man, oh man, I, I I I love the movies. I really do. I really do. Okay. Like I said, right, my well, second. This is my second favorite film of all time, and it's. Precisely for stuff like that. I just, uh, so inventive. <laughs> okay, right. That leads us nicely into a rating then, uh, Jeff. I've got I've got a bit of a feeling I know where this is going to go, but uh, out of 10, what would you give it? Well, I would give it a perfect 10, except you had to draw my attention to uh, the, 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 the waving rocks and Alfred Molina's eyeball. So I deserve my 10s for scenes that are just absolutely flawless, perfect. This one's close, though. Mm-hmm. So I'm giving this one a nine. A nine. And that's okay. only and, and because the, the, the flaws that I do find with it are not flaws that I ever noticed until I was freeze framing it. And again, I've been watching it for almost 40 years and I've never noticed them before. So this this is among the best of the best for me. So this this is one of my favorites. It was something that one of the scenes that made me just fall in love with movies, much like you, it sounds like. And uh, I just I love it. So, yeah, it gets a nine from me. Okay, I'm echoing you in regards as it's done near perfect, apart from the eyes and the the fake rocks. But I'm more generous than you. I'm actually giving it a nine and a half. Okay, so that gives us an average of nine point two five. I can live with that. Yeah. Now, what's going to be interesting (laughs) is, you know, of course, we're going to come back to the Indiana Jones films. We're going to come back to Raiders of Lost Ark. Uh, again, and and just see where other effects actually rate alongside this. But nine point two five is pretty high, isn't it? It is. I you know, and uh, again, you know, it's a this pretty well done film. It was nominated for best picture in nineteen eighty one when it came out. So uh, 
I don't. I'll be surprised if we see a wide variance, but I will be mm. very interested to see. Interested to see how the rest of the film measures up. Did it peak too early? Yeah. Well, well let's wait and see. I, I, I mean, you might have a wide di- divergence if we got round to Crystal Skull. Yes. That. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. Okay. Fine. I'm with you. All now. right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Jeff. Uh, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. And uh, if if I may, do you mind if I plug some of my uh, my own podcast right quick? Plug away. All right. Well, you can find me. I, I'm currently on three podcasts regularly. I have my own network called Marvin Dog Media, which is available at marvindogmedia.com, where I host a show called Talking Toys with Taylor and Jeff with my best friend Taylor. We, we uh, talk about vintage toys. Taylor is a customizer and knows a lot about how these things are made. And we've actually done... Uh, we did a show on the Indiana Jones, the adventures of Indiana Jones toy line that Kenner put out in 82, uh, that we really enjoyed. That's a, that's a toy line that's near and dear to my heart. I've got a good portion of that collection. Uh, the, uh, and I also do a show on the coffee with Kenobi network called comics with Kenobi. My friend Matt Moore and I, uh, read and review all of the comics that Marvel comics is putting out each month. That comes out the first Wednesday of each month, and we discuss the comics from the month before. And I'm also on the Geek Supreme, which is on the Assembly of Geeks Network, and that is just, uh, it's sort of, wait, wait, don't tell me, meets ESPN's Around the Horn, meets Whose Line Is It Anyway? Uh, That's the best way I can describe it, but we basically discuss the geek culture topics of the day uh, in a round-robin competition-type setting. It's a lot of fun, and that's out every Mm -hmm. Tuesday. Uh, so that's just a little bit of what I've been doing. And I also write a blog once a month for coffee with Kenobi. That's out on the 25th of the month. At the moment I am going through each star Wars film, film by film to discuss what it is about that specific film that has kept me coming back to them for so many years. And I've been very surprised at the things that I find when I start thinking of them in that, from that standpoint. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons I love this show is that when you, when you start looking at a scene like this from a different perspective a, diff- a certain point of view if you will uh, you start to notice things like the eyeballs mm. the things that the things that are wrong with it that you, that you never noticed but i've been pleased to learn much like with raiders of the lost ark nothing has diminished my enjoyment of it mm. yeah i mean i mean that's a testament to the film isn't it you can accept its flaws you certainly can it, it you can you can so but again thank you so much for having me on i've really enjoyed this i love the show and i can't co-hosts have to say about this film and the other indiana jones films all right well stay tuned jeff and uh i'll be putting on facebook i'll be putting links to all your uh endeavors okay thank you so much thank you so much i appreciate that and uh and i sent you a link uh over here with the uh the clip to the uh, the, the link to the bearded trios site which is actually a whole article about the the fertility idol so i think uh, all right you guys and the listeners will have, have a good time with that i'm sure we will okay all right well thank you jeff Um, Thank you, everybody out there, and go over to Facebook and see what me and Jeff post up there. Thanks a lot, everybody. Oh, sorry, Jeff. I would like to say one last thing. Uh, The movie is called Raiders of the Lost Ark. Do not believe (laughs) you. The film is called Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's all I want to say. Yeah, and Star Wars is called Star Wars. Yes. (laughs) All right. Cheers, then, Jeff. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.